Welcome back to Seven Trees. I'm your host, Joe Barentine. Today, we have something a little different for you. A couple of weeks ago, I sat down with Fircrest's new police chief, Ron Schaub, ahead of this month's city council study session on the 20th, which will focus on areas of policing and traffic enforcement. I wanted to share the rest of the conversation with you. I hope you find it as interesting as I did. There are a couple things in Fircrest that, that people really love to talk about, and the police and uh, safety, traffic. Yeah, yeah. These are all things. Those that, are hot buttons. Like, oh, yeah. They are hot for buttons. For sure. And so, uh, yeah, my hope is that uh, this goes reasonably well, and we can uh, we can do it again somewhere down the road and follow up on whatever the news of the day is or whatever the thing is. We were talking about it this morning with Sergeant Gollinger and, and Detective Roberts just about, you know, we've been making a lot of uh, – uh, stopping folks for like expired tabs or speed and then you end up finding out that they have a suspended license and so we've been making a lot of arrests this last month but it's funny because a lot of times it's on 19th or it's on orchard or it's on uh, 67th uh, all not, the perimeter streets right yeah and you and you think about it, go well wow why what's the what's the interest there and, and we were laughing because i said what i used to do uh, some security work for plu the deputies that worked at PLU, you know, they didn't want us on campus. They wanted us patrolling the exterior. And I used to joke saying, yeah, we're the alligators in the moat around the castle. <laughs> I like that. But, you know, it does. It keeps people from coming in. And, and considering where we're wedged in between you know, Tacoma and University Place and Lakewood, uh, you know, and during the holidays, one of the commissioners, civil service commissioners, gave me a thing saying of thefts, they were like number one in the country per 100,000. And, you know, we're really fortunate that a lot of that doesn't seem to consistently bleed over into the city. And that makes sense. Why? Because we're so focused on doing the, you know, addressing the community concerns around traffic enforcement, that when you are out there and you're visible, you displace crime. And there's probably not a way to measure exactly how much. But surprisingly, we are pretty blessed that it's not bad for where we're actually situated. Yeah, I think uh, with uh, compared to our neighboring municipalities, <laughs> I think we have a a pretty good thing going on here. Um, so, uh, well, I want to get back to. I'm going to start from the beginning because I want I, I want people to talk uh, about. I want people to know about you. Yeah. Uh, so um, let me. I'll just do a quick intro, and then I will ask you about to tell me a little bit about yourself and we'll go from there okay and where it goes from there who cares but okay. uh uh welcome back to seven trees we're talking with chief ron schaub i'm gonna butcher that name and i'm sorry that's probably a good german pronunciation right schaub? There. Uh, schaub i think that's probably the true german pronunciation <laughs> ron is the new police chief in Fircrest. took over for uh uh, uh john cheeseman uh, who had done the job for many years uh i thought we'd have a, a conversation and just kind of get to know chief a little bit chief Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, man, I'm, the, I'm that small-town kid, you know, having grown up in, uh, between Ashford and Eatonville. You know, that, it was, as we were talking earlier, it's, it's a different era. You know, growing up, listening to my grandparents and my great-grandmother, you know, they, uh, my great-grandmother's family were immigrants from Germany, and so we're homesteaders out in the Ashford area. And, and uh, you know, Grandpa grew up, up up there between Morton and LBN Ashford, you know, working in the uh, in the woods. That's what he did. He cut timber during World War II, uh, and uh, just being a small town kid, you know, when you grow up in those little tiny communities, your you know your neighbor kid is a mile away, and you don't really think about it. You know, when you grow up on 80 acres, you did a lot of things by yourself, and then uh, moving into Eatonville, and which was to us the big city. 
you know, now you laugh about it, but it, it was the big city, and my stepdad was the principal at the elementary school, so you couldn't really get away with anything in school growing up because he heard about it pretty quickly. But it, it, you know, it was it was fun. It, it was a different era. You know, the early '80s going to high school was just so different uh, than now. Things that were concerns back then were are not the concerns of of today. But uh, you know, getting a chance to grow up in, in a great little small town and a small community, and going off to college and going to the big city of Seattle because I went to Seattle Pacific my first year before I ran out of money and had to transfer to Central and finished up my four-year degree over at Central, which I loved Ellensburg. It was again another small community, uh, and it just that just kind of fit. And then not knowing what I wanted to do, my 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 uh, my real dad was a uh, was a CPA by trade, and that gene was pretty quickly apparent that that gene skipped me. <laughs> my stepdad was in education. My uncle was in education. So I started going down, uh, you know, that pathway and realizing it just didn't feel like it was a good fit. And not knowing what I wanted to do, I had thought about the military for a lot of years. So I, uh, I didn't go to ROTC. I enlisted after I uh, graduated at Central and did three years in the Army out at Fort Lewis. And at the end of Desert Storm, I said, okay, this I'll check this one off. It was worth serving my country. But it wasn't a it wasn't a career for me. It wasn't not a good fit, and uh, did sales for a few years until I was uh, in my late twenties, and uh, I was sitting uh, I was doing sales out in Denver at the time, and uh, I, I'm just like, yeah, this isn't what I really signed up for. I was spending three weeks a month out of state, and uh, we were pregnant with our oldest daughter at the time, and I'm like, yeah, this isn't really what I want to do. So I called a friend of mine who had been with the Pierce County Sheriff's Office for years and said, John, how do you do this? And well, back in those days, in the early 90s, you didn't have things like public safety testing or national testing. So if you wanted to test for an agency, you had to drive to wherever that agency was. Mm. So I went from everywhere, from out on the coast to up north to, uh, you know, to, to east, and it took about a year to get hired. Uh, back then, there were way more job applicants than there were jobs. Mm -hmm. So I think there were 2,000, 2,100 people that took the sheriff's office test for 150 well, for 50 positions. So I think I was like 180 on that list, and we were the last hire group of 94. Hmm. And uh, you know, and started down that pathway. I started in Lakewood. That was my first assignment as a young deputy, and spent 28 years with Pierce County. Did a lot of really fun stuff from. You know, being a, a patrol sergeant and supervising a crime analyst unit to working out in the Eatonville office, you know, that kind of where I grew up at, spent almost 10 years total out there uh, patrolling the rural part of the county and then getting picked up as a, as a contracted chief to the town of Stolicum. So that was kind of my first stint as doing the chiefly things, which it's different to be a supervisor at a big agency to then go over and take over a, a small agency with no county employees and uh, going to grad school. So I, I started in October of 2010 at the town of Stillicum, and I started at the University of Washington in, in my uh, master's program the exact same month. And so I was doing the new chief thing and going to grad school at the same time. Oh, sounds like a party. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. But, you know, it kept me, obviously, at every waking moment, I was either reading a book, writing a paper, or doing stuff at work. Uh, and working three jobs to pay for it because you know, we didn't have tuition assistance or reimbursement, so I had to pay for it all. Sure, but uh, that was a lot of fun. So, what did you uh, what did you take from with you from the silicon job? I mean, like, why did you want to do this again? <laughs> you know, I, I think I, I think when you hit that seven or eight year mark as an officer, you know, you see a lot of negative and 
you see the underbelly of society and you sometimes can lose sight that most people are good people. They just want to work hard, come home and enjoy their family. Don't steal from me. Don't damage my property. But they're generally just good people. And you, I think, in, especially in the law enforcement world, uh, you see the, the dark side of, of what humans are capable of, whether it's a domestic violence call, a robbery, a homicide, um, you know, strong, uh, home invasions. You, you deal with that, and you're dealing with it in a really concentrated environment. I think you, you can get to the point, it's like, man, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is, am I really helping? And I think that's one of the challenges is, you know, people get into the work because if you sit on enough oral interviews, you realize people say, well, I want to serve my community. I want to help people. Sometimes the system isn't really geared to give you what you think the value proposition is. And, uh, but I, after I promoted the sergeant, I realized, ah, you know what? I can, I can mentor people. I can, I can help set a course, a vision for, for an agency or an organization and, and take on those hard problems, whether it's fixing, fixing a, uh, a staffing model or fixing a culture or trying to rebuild something. Because, you know, especially now, so many agencies have lost people. Everybody is hurting for people. And those that remain, and, you know, you're trying to rebuild that team, you're trying to encourage them and say, hey, you know, there, it, we will have a better day where you're not working all these extra hours to just try to provide the staffing. Uh, that about that, uh, you know, going into that is kind of where I kind of felt like I found my niche. It's like, okay, you know, I could make a difference. Uh, sometimes when you're working out on the road, you don't always see that you're making a difference because it's, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you can, you start to learn, oh, I'm going to the same address again and they're fighting again. Um, and that happens. And you can, again, you can get a little jaded sometimes just because of you see kids get victimized or you see people in abusive relationships and they're not getting out. It's easy to be judgmental about that. But when you start to realize there's a psychological dynamic at play here, that it's not as simple as walking away. Humans aren't really built that way. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. I had 20 years in newspapers and I got to, Oh yeah, you got to see it. I yeah, got to see a bit. Yeah. yeah. You got to see what everything that happens in the County and across the nation, cause you got to see it all. And, you can start to wonder, are we really as good as a species as we think we are? It does call some things into question, it does. for sure. It does. Let's move uh, to, to our department, so Fircrest, real quick. Yeah. Uh, um, so when you came here, uh, I guess people want to know, Yeah. what did you find here, and uh, how's it going? Oh, well, I mean, what did I find here? What I found was somebody like Chief Cheeseman who you know, is an iconic figure in Pierce County law enforcement. Now, you know, most people don't stay in the business 40 plus years and they don't, you know, literally grow up, live and work in a community um, from, you know, being a patrol officer to a sergeant to a chief. Um, and that was, you know, that was one of the things I had to wrestle with coming here is that, I mean, I knew those were big shoes to fill. And, uh, you know, so John knows everybody. So you're looking for a place to buy here in town? Yeah, well, I looked. There's not much for sale. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. There's not much for sale. And interest rates aren't really helping right all now. Right, right. But, you know, that was one of the things is like, okay, the, you know, my style is very different from John's. And there isn't, there isn't a right or wrong style. And, and, you know, I love sports. And it's interesting when you see these coaching changes like we just experienced. And you start thinking, well, okay, you know, Pete Carroll was here. He was very successful. But what's the next guy 
there isn't a right choice. The next guy is going to have a very different perspective, a very different style, might have some similarities, but that is a, that's a process of, of everybody kind of adjusting. Um, you know, I'm much more introverted than, than he was, but, you know, he did some things of building community. I mean, he was fantastic at that. Um, but, you know, when I, especially coming in and realizing that the labor market for law enforcement is incredibly competitive and there are way more jobs than there are applicants. And we've been talking as a staff about how do we create Furcrest into this destination agency, a place where people want to come and go. Now, traditionally, you have never hired entry level that I can see. The civil service rules are not built for that. So if you start talking about uh, laterals, laterals have been doing the job somewhere. So they've got some experience of what does a culture look like, good or bad. And how do you appeal? Because when you're small, you don't have a bunch of promotional opportunities. You don't have a bunch of specialized assignments. So what can I do to draw people in? Uh, you know, obviously the city and the culture of the city and the sense of community is really, really strong. I mean, a lot of communities, I mean, I lived on South Hill for a while. South Hill doesn't have a, a really established identity. There's big master developments, but there's not like a core downtown. There's not that, like Espresso yourself is one of those places that you know that's a nexus for people. Mm -hmm. They're going to come and go there all day long, whether they're eating or grabbing a coffee, but people connect there. You see a lot of people connect there. Sure. And you don't get that in some of these newer communities, that sense of identity. Um, and I think that's a big draw. So how do we, how do we market that? How do we market a community that's supportive? How do we market a community or an environment where you're going to work and maybe the big thing is, yes, we want you to do a lot of traffic enforcement, um, but you might not do some of these other things. And I'd like to think with age comes a certain level of wisdom that you realize, you know, you can only drive cars fast for so long. You can only chase all these bad people for so long before you realize there's got to be more to this job than that. I mean, that stuff's fun. We're all a little bit of an adrenal junkie, I suppose, at some level. But there is something about quality of life and seeing that, you know, if I work to protect the community, I can see those measurables that, you know, when you see people out walking their dogs or playing in the park with their kids and they're kind of aloof to the world, then, you know, you've, you've created a really great environment for people just to live. And that's that's a that's a huge marketing thing. But in this hyper-competitive market, what do we do in terms of you know, economics or benefits? Uh, how can we attract someone from, a sh from the sheriff's office or from another agency that might pay more? How do we attract them here? Mm -hmm. How do we find good people that will represent the department, the city, and the community well? Can you talk about, um, and that sounds like a, a steep challenge, by the way, <laughs> uh, but uh, can you talk a little bit about um, the makeup of our staff? We have like how many officers currently and what are we hoping to get to we're authorized 10 i don't think they've been at 10 or even nine for years yeah that's true i think when i was on city council we authorized the 10th officer yeah and we had at that point we were still looking to hire the ninth at yeah. that point so. and i think if you if you wound the clock back i think there was a point in the distant past probably in the mid to late 2000s where they had 10 and i think the downturn in the and in, in the real estate market when they couldn't fill a vacancy, it got absorbed back in just because you, know, you got to try to make budget. Yeah, back in 08. Yeah, I, I think it there. was in that range. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think right now we are at 
we are at nine trying to get to 10. Great. And that's always the, the, the trick. You know, when, with the sheriff's office, we called it a relief factor, but we knew that at any one moment in time, 15 to 18% of staff would be unavailable. And that was typically 70 to 80 bodies out of a 300 and some person department. Uh, whether it was vacancies, injuries, military, and we're lucky we don't have some of these things. But that is the, the trick is trying to find, figure out what's the balance between staffing levels, call volume, and this idea around you know, relief factor. Because if we lose somebody to retirement, it might legitimately take a year to replace them, yeah. which puts a lot of strain on the rest of the staff because we're not fat. We're very lean. It's very lean staff, yeah. And we, we rely heavily on our, our mutual aid agreements. You know, it's just interesting because as we're talking about recruiting, uh, I, I had uh, John Roberts, who's both the you know, union president and our detective, reach out to one of the former officers that left before I got here. And I wanted to understand why did they leave? I mean, I think there's a, some value in looking at exit interviews if they do them to try to understand why are people going to other opportunities. And one of the things that, that was something that this officer pointed to, besides he lived closer to this other agency and the other agency had better compensation. But one of the things that really stuck with him was he didn't like working alone. And that's one of the things that I've, uh, when I first got here, uh, there was somebody who had left the sheriff's office and was going back. Uh, they had been a corrections officer before they came to the sheriff's office and they decided after doing a year, they wanted to go back to corrections. And I reached out to him and just asked her, so would you consider? And one of the first questions she asked is, do you guys work alone? And that is something that, you know, I know we rely as a small agency on mutual aid with our partners, whether it's University Place or Tacoma. But when you're alone and things go bad, you care about how long is it going to take to, for somebody to be there. And mutual aid is, is a reality, but that's not particularly a great strategy. Yeah, it, you don't want that to be your... Your backup. Your go-to. That's, your, that's not the person you're leaning on. No, because what happens if the two officers work in the university place are both tied up? Well, then you have to go to Tacoma. Well, that's assuming that Tacoma has somebody close to you. And that becomes one of the things of, you know, we are authorized 10. I know that Councilmember Villafor, when he was my liaison from the council to public safety, was talking about 12. And I probably was initially a little resistant, resistant only because I'd look at the 911 call volume and go, well, does it justify it? But I think when you start looking at the broader strategy and tactics about how do you build um, a certain level of resiliency and a certain level of, you know, people could leave, people could retire, people could get injured, um, people have children and they want to take, you know, leave with their kids or they get injured on the job or they need a surgery. There's a lot of things that can sure. happen. If you had a military reservist, they're going to have a certain commitment um, that 12 is probably a really good number because it would allow us with some of the staffing and, and uh, scheduling options we've been looking at to potentially have two people scheduled besides the sergeant, uh, you know, every day. Mm. So that they would be working with a partner, somebody that they know and trust and respect, um, and that you're not relying purely on mutual aid to be your go-to. Yeah. Because when you're fighting with someone, you don't want to wait two minutes for somebody to, you know, to get to you. Sure. Because um, things can go really bad really fast. Sure. I know uh, 12 was a goal. Uh, it's going to take, you know, the development up on 
the goat property. Yep. Uh, and uh, and a few other things to create revenue in a, me- in a in a means that would allow for that in a sustainable way. And the, I know the council doesn't want to bring somebody create a position that yep. I'll have to say goodbye to in a year uh, if something bad happens financially. Yeah. So uh, twelve seems like a good number to me, based on you know the hopes. Yeah. But that's I mean for for the folks who are listening, that's probably at least three years away depending on the development up there and, and how the revenues come in. Yeah, I know there's some House and Senate bills going through this year that they're looking at some options because I believe WASPIC, which is the Washington Association of Sheriffs and Police Chiefs, have done a study, and I think we're dead last in the nation of officers per capita. Mm. It's not an exact science saying yeah. how many officers per thousand, but it is kind of a metric that you can look at. So they're looking at things like uh, communities. Association of Washington Cities is put forth a a proposal that communities could do three-tenths of 1% sales tax increase to fund public safety. Mm -hmm. I think WASPIC is looking at the idea that was floated a year ago where the state would remit back one-tenth of 1% from sales tax back for public safety. Because we're one of those few core services that are not covered by a tax stream it doesn't have a revenue a yeah. dedicated yeah, revenue I mean, stream yeah you know whether you're looking at schools fire districts uh, library districts uh, parks districts they all have dedicated revenue streams and yet people will say well 60 percent of our general fund is eaten up by public safety yeah because it's it's the money that can get used for everything it's not dedicated like streets are or like utilities yeah so but yeah looking at how do we do that so some of the stuff that the state's trying to do may help because they realize that I think statewide we've lost 600 officers. That's, that sounds like the last number I heard, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty big number, and we were already the, one of the more lightly staffed uh, states. Um, and so how do you do that? You know, when, you're, when your staffing level struggles, one of the things that, that we have a requirement every year is to do 24 hours of ongoing you know, law enforcement-related education, and how do you build that into your training program if you're just able to to cover your bases in terms of covering. It's not like you're trying to cover eight hours a day, five days a week. It's 24 seven, 365. And not being there is not an option. Yeah. And that takes a higher level of, uh, of staffing sure. to make sure that you have a, a, a top-notch training program because that's where a lot of liability as a community and as an organization lies if you're not doing good training. Um, let's talk about... Um uh, let's let's try and keep it to just a couple minutes on crime in Fircrest. What are the trends? Where are we at? Uh, what what are you seeing uh, over the last several months uh, in Fircrest? You know, coming through the holiday season, vehicle prowling, breaking into cars. Now, breaking in means they might be left unlocked, but people going into cars and stealing things out of there has been really big. Motor vehicle thefts. Obviously, everybody's heard about the Kia and the Hyundai stuff. That's real. Um, we've seen a lot of Kias stolen. Uh, thank goodness for social media because it's doing such great things for people. Uh, but that you know that that's been one of the big things is is stuff getting stolen out of people's cars, stuff being stolen off of people's porches. Uh, you know, after Amazon drops the package, it's, there's people driving around trying to steal that stuff. Uh, those have been big things. You know, I think people that are that are uh, out on the roadways, even if you're not commuting to work, you can see the level of aggressive driving that's going on statewide. It's not like it's a localized phenomenon. I got past that Electron the other day. Oh. Yeah. Scared the 
But. Oh, yeah, 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 that's, yeah. Uh, and, and the stuff that you see in the level of aggressive driving, you just go, wow. Uh, and so you do see that. I mean, I've heard stuff at the council meeting where, you know, citizens will come in and say, hey, my kids just about got hit by somebody. And, and it isn't always, unfortunately, it's not just the kids, the younger generation that you go, you're still figuring out this thing called driving. It's not always them. Um, I, you know, I do watch a lot of body cam footage because we do get a lot of public records requests for body cam. And uh, I've, I'm because next month is the public safety briefing at council during a study session, I want the council to see some of the stuff that the officers are dealing with. Some of the, I'm 58, I would never have spoken to a principal or a police officer or somebody in a position the way that people are getting spoken to now, it's just, it's not in my DNA. In my Italian, my little Italian mother would oh, smack my yeah, face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no yeah, exactly. My, my dad would have done the same. And uh, because I think, it, you know, they want us like, yeah, we want to see traffic enforcement. You, you got to understand a lot of these contacts are really negative. Uh, and the level of, I mean, rudeness, like personal attacks. Um, there was one that, that I just saw this last week. He doesn't have a license. He's suspended. So part of our policy is, you know, we tow the vehicle. And there was no hold on it, which means the registered owner of the vehicle could go recover it from the tow yard. And the, the driver is incredibly confrontational. He brings his young son out of the car and is pointing at the officer saying, this is what he's doing to us. There's no personal accountability of, my license isn't valid. My privilege to drive in the state of Washington is not valid. I don't have insurance on the car, so I don't care if I hit someone else that they're affected. And you're making it the officer's problem because you aren't a responsible adult. But you're, you're replicating this negative persona that it's the officer's fault that I'm being irresponsible. And they got pulled over for a traffic infraction. And they got, yeah, they got pulled over for a traffic infraction. <laughs> I'm sure it was speed or not having a valid license. Um, but yet, you know, you're, you're taking someone who's probably a six or seven-year-old child and telling them that the police officer is the bad guy. Not me, them. Uh, and I've seen all kinds of stuff uh, in, in the last couple of months of officers being, uh, their, their weight being attacked. Um, and, and I think it's good to see that, to understand... These are negative contacts, and they're going to do this because they're serving the community. But you know, you can say sticks and stones, but I think we all realize people being insulting and condescending and accusatory when it's not the truth, it still affects us as human beings. Sure. So I, I want the council to see some of this because the, some of the officers are, are, are demonstrating an incredible level of composure to just take it. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea to show the council the, the work. And, and it turns out every officer I've ever met, and I've met quite a few over the years, uh, is a human being. Turns yeah. out. So they're not robots. <laughs> they're, they're not like Terminator, right? They're not these things. They're, yeah, they're human beings. And I think that sometimes gets lost. It's like, hey, you know what? You have problems with your kids? Guess what? So do we. Yeah. You know, you, you, know, you had a bad day. Your, your pipes on your house broke. It's not just you. It's us. Yeah. So we are just like everybody else, doing a tough job. And doing it well here in Fircrest. I, uh, I have not met an officer here uh, that I didn't respect 
uh, from the minute I met them there. They've all just proven to be good people. Yeah, they're good people. Yeah. Uh, let's talk. Uh, I'm going to go back to the thing. I was. Uh, I wanted to make sure to ask you about like the car prowls, yeah. traffic stuff. Uh, how uh, how can people increase the the security of their homes and their property at this time? You know, I, I, I mean, I have an alarm system. It doesn't have to be monitored, um, but I know ring cameras are fantastic. Um, you know, s- exterior security cameras are nice because, and especially during the holiday season, uh, uh, one of the council members provided us a ring camera where it showed somebody come up, maybe a security camera, come, came up to their car, tried the doors, the doors were locked on the vehicle, which is a great starting point, and they left. But we were able to get a good enough picture of them and we saw the highlight of the car so even though they didn't commit a crime because trying the door handles you could maybe argue it's an, an attempted but nobody's going to charge an attempted uh, vehicle problem when they didn't there's no property damage there's no nothing was lost but we were able to provide that to university place pd and gig harbor pd and it took a couple of months but gig harbor made an arrest in the last day or two where we'd identified this person, we put it out to some of our local partners, knowing that this person isn't gonna stop trying to steal stuff. He had a, a history of, of a theft. Uh, so yeah, he got himself arrested because he kept doing it. So that's, I mean, that's a good thing. Again, locking your stuff up. Um, security cameras are great, alarm systems are great. Um, I think, you know, especially during my time when I was with the town of Stillicum, you know, as a heavy retiree community, it was amazing when you had somebody get something stolen or broken into. If you went around and canvassed the neighbors, there was usually a decent chance that one of the neighbors was around or had security footage, and we caught a lot of folks by just being your brother's keeper, paying attention to who's in your community. You know, if you're gonna call someone a suspicious person, I, I know that this happens uh, where, well, they don't belong here. Well, why don't they belong here? I think that's a slippery slope and you have to be very careful that you aren't just looking at people, have something articulable. Well, what are they doing? They're looking in mailboxes. Are they looking in car windows? Are they going up to doors, ringing doorbells, knocking on the door, walking around to the back of the property? Stuff that you can say, oh, they might be trying to prowl or do some surveillance for nefarious intent. But be careful about just calling people in because they don't belong here. Have something more than that because you don't want to go after people that haven't done anything suspicious. They just don't fit what you think should be walking around in the community. So just to clarify, walking on the sidewalk in front of your home. It's not a crime. It's not a crime. It's not a crime. That's good. I like that. Because, you know, because who gets the negative impact of that? Well, you are stopping me because of something else. Maybe it's my ethnicity. Maybe it's because I'm, you know, unhoused. I mean, there can be a lot of reasons. And it, again, there might, be, there might be some reasons for us to identify you, but some of the negative stereotypes and connotations can come back onto the officers if there's not something that you would say is reasonable suspicion that you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I don't think most people think about that. They just think, act. Yeah. And then, and and sometimes the act might be valid. I mean, I do think God gave us that little EBGB feeling for a reason. But you know, if you have that feeling that something's out of place, pay close attention and don't make excuses for what you're seeing. But seeing is like, okay, what are they really doing? 
And you know, when you start to get into the spring and summer, you'll start to see people come up that they're maybe selling magazine subscriptions door to door or that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so you'll see a little bit more of that. But just again, pay attention and and see what's going on in your neighborhood. And you know, is there a car that pulls up and they start walking through the neighborhood? That's worth watching. Yeah. That's all good stuff. Thank you. I think that's the thing that I see on social media the most, right? Is people are just worried about their stuff. Yeah. Uh, they're people. I mean, I'm always worried about my family more than anything. The house alarm is a good thing. I, I have one too. Yeah. Uh, I would take this moment to point out that there is a, a permit fee in Fircrest for, <laughs> for a house alarm. Yeah. Then I suggest you check out the city's website, cityoffircrest.net, for more information. <laughs> um, I lived here three years and had an alarm the whole time before I knew it. Uh, so now, now I'm le- now I'm legit. I promise. Um, so you mentioned the the uh, uh, planning the the podcast will come out before the the uh, study session. So um, can you talk for a minute or two about what kind of stuff you're talking to council about at the study session? One of the things that we're going to look at is uh, a, a vendor. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, one thing you're going to talk about traffic cameras. I am because this is the thing I brought up when I was on council, and I want uh, I want to make sure that it's there's at least energy we put into understanding if that's going to be an option. Yeah. So the the vendor uh, that that we've looked at uh, is the vendor that Tacoma's using, Fife's using, the City of Pacific. We were looking at them as we were leave, uh, as I was leaving. I believe Lakewood is looking at them. Uh, really high quality. The thing that's great about traffic, um, I guess you call them photo enforcement, whether it's red lights, speeding through school zones, speeding through park zones, is they take pictures of the back of the car. So there's no debate about who's driving it or why you're stopping me. You don't have any of that. It's it's totally neutral because it doesn't, it doesn't know. And I know we have some areas that, you know, like Emerson, uh, up by the park in Emerson is a spot because there isn't great walkways up there and people do like to speed. Uh, so at least we can look at it. The vendors had these little boxes out that captured about a day's worth of data. So we'll be able to see traffic counts. We'll be able to see what was the highest speed that they caught on that thing during that time period. On Emerson? On Emerson, on 19th, on Alameda, on Regents. And, and so we can look at both red lights because that's where a lot of accidents happen is when people go through red lights and if they're going through red lights they tend to pick up speed to try to get through the light they're usually not dumping speed so you end up with sometimes accidents that are worse just because of people going through red lights i think we'll be surprised but at least give the council uh, here's some data um and they can make some policy decisions because it's a it's a traffic calming measure it's not about revenue it's about getting people to slow down and when you have one officer on shift, they can't be everywhere. And these things don't sleep. Um, yes, there's some considerations of how would it impact the courts and the staff. You know, how do you review the uh, the potential infractions and coming up with all that infrastructure and can we support that? But uh, the vendor will tell you whether or not there's enough activity to justify the program. Uh, another thing that we're looking at, and this was kind of a policy thing that uh, it was about our body-worn camera policy, and just to be able to, again, talk about that. And, and some of the videos we'll show from traffic stops will be from the body-worn camera. Um, and just talk about kind of philosophically, I think, looking into, uh, I've got a three-year work plan on my whiteboard in the office. Uh, you know, I think shooting for accreditation through uh, the Washington Association of Sheriffs and Police Chief 
is a worthwhile goal. First, you have to stabilize the staff. We have to finish implementing our policy manual, and then we can, can begin to look at going towards accreditation because it just shows that your policies and your procedures um, match the best practices in the industry as, as evaluated by outside independent assessors. And I, again, about 30% of the agencies in the state are accredited. So it, it definitely puts you on the top tier. And it, you know these are big commitments. They typically take 12 to 18 months of front-end prep work to just put yourself in a position to be accredited. And then once you're accredited, I think they re-accredit you. I think it's every three or four years. Hmm. So you have to maintain it, otherwise you'll lose it. But that's just a, I mean, that's a, that's a team effort to do that. But we'll talk about, you know, whether or not, because there is some, you know, there is some time and expense that goes into that. Another thing we're looking at, uh, it's called a lean map study. I'm not familiar. It's called the loan executive management program. So what they'll do is they'll bring in assessors, uh, executive assessors from outside agencies, from accredited agencies, and they'll do a deep dive into your policies, your procedures. They'll interview staff. And they'll give you a roadmap of these are the areas that we can see that you need to, to work on to set yourself up on the road towards accreditation. So we'll look at, there's some grants available through WASPIC. Uh, I think we've got some, you know, potentially uh, we'll look at our insurance to see if our, sometimes insurance, your, our insurance providers will uh, see that because it helps in litigation. And mitigation is, is a great method right up front just to keep things from happening. Sure. But we'll talk about that and just, you know, philosophically, how do we deal with, you know, staffing? One thing that I've, uh, I've asked uh, Don Masco, the city manager, is, you know, historically we've not looked at entry-level police officers. Uh, but in today's marketplace, not looking at uh, entry-level makes it much more challenging to fill our vacancies. Well, that's, that's an interesting point. So uh, when I started council, you know, I talked to chief, I learned a lot about how this uh, organization runs specifically and uh, the costs associated with bringing someone in, putting them through the academy, having, you know, paying them while they're learning. Yeah. Uh, those, those are not inconsequential. Uh, but I hear, I'd be interested to hear um, maybe on our next chat, yeah. we talk about what staff development looks like uh, for a uh, for a department of this size, because I think that's a that's a really interesting question. Uh, is that a, is that a a cost the city wants to get into to help stabilize uh, the 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 department? It's an interesting question, right there. Is there anything else we should talk about today? Oh, other than the Seahawks, because we'll do that later. <laughs> That was an interesting hire. <laughs> I can't wait to see what, the rest of his coaching staff. Oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. Yeah. You know, that's the, again, that's the that's the fun part. Um, we're gonna do a lot of my my passion is around leadership and leadership development, and we invest a lot of that. We've started investing in a lot of that just internally, um, you know, developing staff. Uh, looking at a lot about, uh, again, if you're trying to create a destination agency and you're setting the standard of, you know, uh, of trying to set the standard of excellence in small city policing, how do you go and do that? How do you build that out? How do you build great leaders? How do you build on succession planning? You know, the, the city manager ultimately decides, you know, someday we all have shelf lives. 
uh, you know, the next chief who comes in, you know, are you handing them off a well-oiled Ferrari? Or are you handing them, you know, this, the 1970 straight six Ford that needs a little bit of work and a little bit of paint? And the goal is to leave them something that is an amazing team that, because uh, anybody coming in, uh, you have to take that on. Or do you have somebody internally that you can begin to develop to at least present the city manager and the council with a viable internal option. Uh, small teams, it's, it's hard, but you know that doesn't mean you don't try to develop the best leaders possible. So we're going to be doing a lot of investment in that, is just developing staff. So, Chief, thank you for making time today and uh welcome you to your uh, your office here to the cave <laughs> to the cave i love it um uh, i look forward to our next conversation and good luck going forward thank you thank you for joining us for this special episode of seven trees i'll be back in your feed with another fur crest story in a few weeks take care and have a great day